I usually start these things off with a story. But when I started trying to come up with a story that encapsulated my police academy experiences, it was hard. Not because I didn't have any stories, but because I found myself overwhelmed with feelings. I graduated from the police academy in 1989. I have a picture of me in uniform with my father on graduation day. And instead of remembering the specifics of that day, I remember how I felt. Proud. Proud that I had done something special. Proud that I had completed something that was going to be so important in my future. I knew even then it was a defining moment for me. That takes me back to swim Thursdays. Every Thursday, instead of normal running and formation and PT, we got to swim. Mostly we got to recover from the rough week of physical training and the sometimes rough evenings of drinking with brand new friends. The friends from the academy. The friends that, even though you don't talk to them often, you always have that connection. I remember field days with full-on scenarios and working with your classmates to solve a case or make an arrest or even just talk on the radio without sounding like an idiot. I remember the feeling of all the little classes clicking. I remember range week and EVOC and DTs, the long, hot, stressful weeks of trying to learn the physical skills necessary to do this job well. I remember losing the Top Gun Award to Mike Scales by one bullseye. I remember feeling carsick in the back of the patrol car while Bob Mercury went screaming around the EVOC track. But mostly, I remember feeling that this was something not everyone would get to experience and that this was going to be the beginning of everything else. It's time to start telling our own stories. I'm Steve Kellums, and welcome to Blue Canary. Police Academy is more than just a funny movie starring Steve Gutenberg from 1984. It is the basis for law enforcement across the United States and most of the world. Police academies are training schools for recruit officers that provide the basic instruction on how to do the job of a police officer. They include, but are not limited to, classes in firearms, physical control tactics, emergency driving, criminal law, arrest procedures, traffic stop procedures, medical skills, and emergency responses. To get a look behind the challenges faced by police academies today, I spoke with two experts in the field, Major Nick Luce of the Indiana University Police Department and Director of the Indiana University Police Academy, and Lieutenant David Livingston, the Director of the Mott Community College Law Enforcement Academy in Flint, Michigan. Both had some interesting things to say regarding police academy training and how things have affected the programs over the years. I asked both men about their career paths and how they ended up overseeing their respective academies. Nick went first. So I'm a son of a copper. My dad was a retired, well, he's now a retired sheriff deputy. He was a two-term sheriff in Knox County, Indiana. Still involved in law enforcement. He's the director of the Indiana Sheriff Association, but I grew up in it. I grew up in law enforcement, seeing my dad get ready every day. Um, it was just a part of me. So I, that's where I really got exposed to the career. And then fast forward, I actually worked at the jail as a jailer part-time in college, making some cash on the side to support myself as a poor college student. But then I discovered the Indiana University Police Department Cadet Officer Program while I was a student at Indiana University. Always been big into sports. and I was a student athlete at the time at university, and it just seemed natural. I said, if I don't really know what I want to do, and I, and I love being a member of a team, and I saw the career that my father had, it was just natural for me to say, you know what, I'm going to try this cadet program. And applied, was accepted, and fast forward to 2022, here I am as the 
the major, the director of the Indian University Police Academy, overseeing the program that I went through. It was just a natural calling, I think, since I was a young kid, and uh, I'm glad I made that choice because I couldn't be happier. Dave's was a little different. I've got almost 42 years in the law enforcement profession. I spent 31 years working for the City of Troy Police Department in Michigan. And since that time, uh, I've been working at Mott Community College Department of Public Safety in uh, Flint, Michigan for the past 10 years. I've been assigned as the training director for the Mott Community College Law Enforcement Regional Training Academy uh, for the past eight years. It's, it's really amazing, Steve, how this, how this worked out. There's two things I was planning uh, for my career. One was either become a police officer or become a teacher. And I figured whatever happens, I'll take whatever uh, comes first. <laughs> it just so happened that the law enforcement uh, opportunity came before a teaching position. So that's what I got into as a career. Once I left Troy and started working at Mott Community College, Mott had just recently been selected as a site for a, an academy. There was a training director there after about a year and a half. There was a little bit of a discord between me and the the executive director of the academy and, and he left and was assigned to somebody else and when they retired i was told by my chief in may of 2014 that i was going to be the new academy training director well this individual was retiring july 1st and the academy started in september so i didn't have a whole lot of leeway as far as the lead time getting acclimated to that uh, position but it's worked out over the past eight years but that's how i got it I, there was, was no interview there was nothing that says ah, you're just going to be assigned to the as the training director of the police academy so that's how it got started there are over 664 state and local police academies across the country providing basic training to entry-level police officers Every state has a police academy, as well as police academy requirements. There are also federal police academies. On top of those, many municipal agencies and county agencies have their own approved police academies. That makes for a lot of differences in the onboarding process. While there are a lot of differences, there are two distinct styles of police academies in the U.S., the academic style and the military style. The military style is often called the stress model, and it relies on intensive physical demands and psychological pressures to develop police officers. This style has become less and less common over the years, but still has its advocates as it points to the highly stressful nature of the police officer's job and the need to be able to function under intense pressure. The academic style, or non-stress model, focuses on academic achievement and a more relaxed and supportive instructor-student relationship. This is seen as a more modern style of instruction and is becoming more the norm across the United States. This method utilizes problem-based learning in the initial instruction and has proven just as effective as the stress model. Both Nick and Dave's academies are academic-based, and Nick discussed that. I think looking at the community college model and the traditional paramilitary residential police academy, we're a hybrid of both. We're not a residential academy, but you're going to be there every day at 6 a.m. and you're mine until we get our standard of training done for the day. So I think that marrying practitioners with academics from our perspective is a great model, but it's not the only way. I think the community-based model has had, the community college-based model has had a lot of success because they have dedicated resources academics there that can do the research. And research is critical in all this, obviously. So I think we can gravitate away from the traditional model and take pieces of the community college model to formulate somewhat of a hybrid like we're doing here. But regardless, I think that going forward, especially with the new police officer that we're training today, there's a lot of issues that we've got to attack 
differently than we have really since police academies were established 50 years ago. I'm really anxious to see where this thing's going, but now is the best time for all of us to explore what our options are. Dave explained how Michigan's community college-based system works. It was uh, through various commissions and things like that. Recommendations were made that police officers would be more educated, have some more some education behind them. And I think as a result of that, a lot of community colleges, I know in Michigan, developed criminal justice programs for people interested in getting into the law enforcement. As such, and I just talk about MOTS because it pretty much it's similar pretty much with the, the rest of the community colleges. You go into the criminal justice program at a community college and you've got to take so many credit hours. At MOT, it's 46 credit hours uh, of schooling. Once you've completed those credit hours, those specific credit hours, you are eligible to go into the police academy. Upon successful completion of the police academy, you get an additional 16 credit hours, which gives you 62 credit hours, which is good enough for an associate's degree. So basically, you're killing two birds with one stone. You're getting an associate's degree in criminal justice, so you're getting some education, and you're getting the training, the, the, the foundational training for a police profession in a police academy. Once you graduate from the police academy, you've got your associate's degree, and you're marketable anywhere in the state of Michigan to work as a police officer. It's a really good program, and I think it has helped in, uh, as a matter of fact, for those who are not a sponsored recruit, it's required that you have at least an associate's degree to even enter into a police academy. In 2020, police academies across the world were hit with a brand new and unique problem, the COVID pandemic. How can you provide required police instruction when everything is being shut down? Both Nick and Dave's academies faced those challenges and had to overcome them. Thankfully for our academy um, in our department, we have a great relationship with not only the Indiana Law Enforcement Academy, but the Law Enforcement Training Board. I would compare it to a dysfunctional family. At the end of the day, we all love each other, but there were some tough discussions between myself and the Academy and the Law Enforcement Training Board. And we challenged where we were at. A lot of the academies hit pause. We decided to push forward, mainly because the young men and women in our program, they get one shot at this academy. It's part of their academic matriculation at the university. And I had at the time 45, I think, young men and women that were set on going in the academy in 2020. How did it look for me and my staff? At the end of February, I was uh, wrapping up the pre-planning our, our curriculum had already been approved, but I was wrapping up the scheduling and the logistics. I felt really good, and I went to spring break with my family. The bottom fell out during spring break. So we rushed back to Indiana, and basically in 30 days, we flipped our entire academy from a in-person model to a hybrid virtual model where we uh, migrated all of our class, all of our classes and lesson plans and course materials into an online platform so that if we had to execute a 10-week, 10 of 14-week academy virtually, we could. Lucky, Luckily for us, we did get approval from the board with some additional guidance and parameters, but we were only eight, we only went five weeks virtually. After the fifth week, which is around June 1st, let's say, of 2020, we, we were able to get a larger auditorium-style classroom and get all of our recruits here in person. So it really worked out for us, but it was, it was a very stressful 30 days to completely flip the model had never been done before in Indiana. And through our support and our resources here and externally, we were able to do that. I, I think it has affected academy training in Indiana very well. At first, it was uncharted waters. And I was told by some of my peers, this is not going to work and it's going to fail. And that was the driving force, I think, for the staff and the recruits is we're going to make this thing happen. 
uh, we hit some hiccups, obviously, and I was in lockstep as far as coordination goes with the training board and the academy in Plainfield. And we learned a lot. We learned a lot of how-tos and a lot of don't-dos. And we partnered back with the academy and said, here's what we learned. Here's a suggestion for other academies in the state. And it was choose your own adventure, so to speak. They took what we did and modified it so that it would fit their model. And up until recently, the several academies in Indiana were offering a portion of their academy training as an online hybrid model. In a lot of ways, we took a lot of pride in that, that we did it and other academies modeled it. But we also realized that if that COVID's not going away, it could be here a long time and we've got to find a fix sooner than later. And had we not done that, I think that we'd have just been this perpetual you know, spinning our tires, so to speak. And, and I think we learned a lot from it as a state. The challenges that Nick faced in Indiana were very different than those faced by Dave in Michigan. Indiana is a regional-based academy system, which means that police academies are highly regulated and there are very limited academy options. Unless you're an employed by a specific agency that has gotten permission to run its own academy, you must attend the Indiana Law Enforcement Academy in Plainfield, Indiana. That academy runs two classes a year and graduates about 250 officers per year. That's not a lot of officers for an entire state. In 2020, due to the pandemic, the Indiana Academy closed, and thanks to the hard work of Nick and his staff, they were the only police academy class to graduate in 2020 in Indiana. Michigan is a community college-based system, and the police academies are managed and run by the community colleges. Instead of having only two classes a year at one facility, they have two classes a year at approximately 20 facilities. That means they can graduate more than 3,000 officers a year for the state of Michigan. That's a big difference. Mott Community College handled the pandemic a little differently. That way, it was a challenge and something that I certainly have never, and, and again, most other academies have never really experienced. The thing with a community college setting is that, yes, we have the Michigan Commission on Law Enforcement Standards, which oversees all police academies in the state of Michigan, but we still have to adhere to the college policies on how they are taking care of this pandemic. Okay, with in, in my case with Mott Community College, they had certain restrictions and protocols that they needed us to follow that didn't necessarily coincide with the um, Center for Disease Control or what M. Coles may have indicated that would be appropriate for an academy. But when we first started out, we were out for about nine weeks, and some of that time I was able to do some online training, just the lecture part. But with MCOLs, they don't really like the, the, the online as far as more of a face-to-face because that's what you're going to be doing out there on the street. It's more of a face-to-face trying to get to know people and talk to people. So I was able to do some classes there, but it still took me nine weeks longer than the normal to get through the academy. As things went, again, that was about two years. We didn't have a live graduation, which was so everything was virtual. But the challenges were there. Sometimes we had to shut down for a week because somebody got COVID. And typically what happens with in, in our academy is I paired somebody with somebody else. So everybody had a partner. So if somebody got sick, I'm, I'm limiting the, the contact between recruits. So that helped us out a lot. But the challenges were, were, were certainly significant, but we were able to get through it. We're lately, in the, the latest academy, we were able to do our first live graduation in three years. Help your team rise to increasing expectations with Agency 360's cloud-based software. Whether it is for the training of new employees or annual performance evaluations, Agency 360 can help trainers and supervisors streamline documentation, create consistency, and communicate clearly. 
Help retention by setting the tone and culture early with Agency 360. Learn more at agency360.com. That's A-G-E-N-C-Y 360.com. I was interested in how the anti-police movement and the defund the police movement was affecting police academies, how it affected the recruits and the people charged with providing those recruits with the basic skills necessary to do the job. Nick and Dave both felt strongly about this topic. For our recruits, surprisingly, go back to 2020 and everything we went through in 2020 as a nation, I had no recruits drop out because they did not want to do the job. And that's a testament to that class. They all stuck it out. And we had some really emotional heart to heart. There was times I cried. And, and I think, and I'm not afraid to say that because you bond with this recruit class and we're all in this together, that we had some discussions offline after class that need to be had. And I think we addressed it right off the bat, be it the George Floyd murder or the, um, the protest activity or COVID or what have you. We talked about these things openly. And I think by doing that, we, that class formulated a bond that said, you know what, we are going to stick it out. They wanted to raise the standard and be the change. They wanted to be the catalyst going forward that changed this. Um, Actually, raising the standard being the change was last year's class motto. And the year before that, when COVID actually hit, their motto was unprecedented times, unrivaled commitment. And And I think that speaks very true to both of the classes that have gone through, that they realize that now Though some say it's the worst time to get into this field, they realize they are going to be the the guard in the future that changes this thing, that makes the ties between the community and the police better. And, and we really lean on that, um, taking from Sir Robert Peel's tenet, says Steve, that the community are the police and the police are the community. And I think they've owned that and they realize that they are no better or worse than their fellow man and their community. And they want to really make a, a difference going forward. In the course of my career, and I know you've been around for a while, Steve, too, most people love us. They, they think, I, I officers do a good job. Now, is that to say that every police officer out there is uh, should be in the law enforcement profession? No. Like any profession, you're going to have people in there who should not be there. And a lot of that, I blame on the administration. I talked to somebody from Western Law Enforcement Agency several years ago where they had to hire 700 people yesterday. They couldn't find 700 people unless they lowered their standards. And, and as a result of that, they hired some bad people. And those are the bad people that give law enforcement a bad name. With that comes things like the George Floyd incident or, or some of these other incidents that happen. Most officers do a great job in this country. And one of the analogies I use, uh, this is from actually Gary Klugowitz, who's a renowned police trainer. There are thousands and thousands of flights every day. You don't hear about them, do you? Until one crashes. Same in law enforcement. Officers, throughout a course of a year, millions of contacts with, with citizens. Nothing happens until you get that one or two where it, it goes goes south. And then you hear about it. As far as training in the police academy, yeah, we talk about those types of things. I spend a lot of time, Steve, on going over the law enforcement court of ethics. I talk about Sir Robert Peel's principles of law enforcement from 1829, and all those nine principles still ring true today. Those are the kind of things we need to focus on. While I'm talking about it, one of the things that bothers me about modern law enforcement, I think we've gone a little bit too far in that we're portraying ourselves more as a military entity as opposed to a community police department or police agency. And I use the analogy like this, Steve. Do you remember, I don't know if you remember the old Adam 12 series years ago? 
And now you get some of these uh, TV shows where, uh, you know, they're shooting people uh, every half hour in their show. And everybody's dressed like they're going to battle. they got tasers. they got extra magazines on their vests. And they just look like they're out for a battle. And if you're dressed to go out looking like a, going out for a battle, I think that's the image you're, you're portraying rather than somebody who can, you can talk to or, or be comfortable with. One of the things I stress in, in this academy and we're out there for the people. Yeah, there come a time when you have to play the uh, the card where you've got to lay hands on somebody, things like that. But for the most part, a lot of that time, it doesn't happen a lot. It doesn't happen as, as much as it's portrayed on TV. So in that regard, yeah, and, and at least in my academy, we stress community involvement, getting along with the community. It's, it's a people business. It's a people business where you talk to people. Talk to them. You're, they're not going to get to know you, and you're not going to get to know them unless there's some conversation. I say it's like any other relationship. You can't love someone or like someone until you get to know them. The same holds true for the people you serve. Anti-police sentiment and the defund police movement created a lot of pressures for police reform. Instead of working with the police to reform those things that needed reform, the politicians passed several mandates across the country. I was curious how those mandates like de-escalation training had affected the police academies. The responses to this question were very different. Nick was proud of their responses to the challenges. For us, this is an area that I, I absolutely take pride in. That, and I think it ties directly to our connection at our academy directly to the university, um, Indiana University. And we've luckily for us, we had instituted the majority of these mandates or recent legislation years prior. For example, mental health has always been a big part of our, of our academy program and our in-service um, the de-escalation piece, we instituted a program several years ago from the Police Executive Research Forum, ICAT, which is Integrating Communication Assessments and Tactics. And for those that don't know, this is my plug for that program. I know some don't like it. I hang my hat on it professionally. This program essentially teaches use of force, de-escalation, mental health, duty to intervene, resiliency, all these things it teaches together, like in one big pot of, of use of force gumbo is what I talked to, as opposed to teaching these things in silos, because we know when we deal with critical incidents or people that are dealing with crisis, we have to pull from all those disciplines in real time, as opposed to going to this bucket and taking a little bit of use of force and de-escalation, what have you. Other areas such as procedural justice that came out of President Obama's 21st century policing model we instituted several years ago and the list goes on and on and and that to me is we put ourselves in a position to be ready so that somebody didn't have to come in and tell us this is what you have to do and that's the challenge that i think law enforcement educators need to look at is what does the landscape look like five to ten years out because if we're just taking the curriculum off the shelf and dusting it off you might be in a position where you're behind the eight ball so to speak so I would challenge all law enforcement trainers to look at your current training practices, but also look at what trends are happening and what research is there to suggest a shift in your, in your curriculum, a shift in the way you do things. And I'm one of the most, let's say, experimental or liberal police administrators in the state. I'll try anything once. If it doesn't work, we'll scratch it, we'll punt, and we'll try something else next year. But don't be afraid to try new things. Don't be afraid to incorporate something that's not been done before. As long as it's objectively driven and you have that post-training discussion with your staff, did it work or not? And we poll our recruits too all the time. They're constantly giving us feedback and I welcome that. I want them to feel that if they thought the class was garbage, tap me on the shoulder and say, Major, 
I thought it was a garbage class. And I'm fine with that. It's their experience and I want them to get what they want to get out of that experience so that they have a fruitful career going forward. Dave had a different view of the question, drawing more on his long career in law enforcement. I've always taught de-escalation. De-escalation has been around for a long time. These buzzwords, you you hear them, they, they come and they go. But police work really, if you think about it, when you're dealing with people, it really hasn't changed. It's how you talk to people. De-escalation has been around for a long time, and it's how you talk to people. And we certainly stress it. We stress de-escalation, kind of calming people down, not only their anxiety level, but the officer's anxiety level as well, and, and just get a conversation going. But mandated training, obviously, we're required to, to teach it, and we do. But again, a lot of these things have been around, just a, a different flavor, things like even with active shooter training, we're doing the diamond formation today. When the diamond's out, we're doing the stack. A couple of years later, now it's something else. It's called something else, but it's the same thing. Just different tactics, different way of doing things. People put a different spin on it. But dealing with people really hasn't changed a whole lot. There's only so much you can do with people. I just basically just talk to them. So that's how we, we handle it in, the, in this academy here. We just obviously the mandated stuff has to be done. But we don't want to lose focus on our ultimate mission either. I love what I do. I love this profession. And I do all I can, and my, my, my assistant, Sergeant Donnell Cheney, we do our best to make sure that the next generation of police officers gets it even better. Two great examples of police trainers putting their all into developing the next generation of officers. You can feel their passion and their desire to pass that on to their students. And I think that next generation of police officers will be thankful for it. And that's the story we have to tell. Thank you for joining. As always, I'm curious what questions you're getting asked. What isn't the news covering? What story needs to be told? Connect with me at bluecanarypodcast at gmail.com. 